Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, it is uh, certainly a pleasure and an honor to uh, impart a word, message from the Word of God this morning. Um, the title of my lesson is the uh, Seventy Lambs. Um, and uh, as we, as you probably got from the scripture reading this morning in Luke chapter ten, that we're going to be talking about the seventy. Uh, disciples that God sent into the, the field for harvest and uh, kind of what they did um, and how they were able to do the miraculous things that they were able to do as a result. Uh, I want to start off this lesson by talking about uh, a mustard seed and um, we all know uh, the mustard seed and, and what it is and um, the analogy or the use of the mustard seed um, in a number of different parables uh, that Jesus imparted upon his disciples. I'm a little self-conscious uh, now about saying, um, so if I pause, it's not because I lost my train of thought, it's because I'm trying to exercise my brain to not be lazy with my words. So, the mustard seed and the analogy of the mustard seed. We all know that Jesus, when he's talking about faith, he said all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And with that mustard seed or a faith beside the mustard seed, you can do all things. You can tell to a mount, mountain to move from where it originally sits to sit in the middle of the ocean. Those are very powerful words um, because the analogy there is that all it takes is a small amount of belief, a small amount of faith, and if it's properly fed, it will grow into something much larger. Uh, Jesus talks about this in greater detail in uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter, um, verses 31 through 32, in particular the 32nd verse where he says that the mustard seed is indeed the least of all seeds, uh, but when it's grown, uh, as it says, when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh the tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And when I read that verse, it highlighted to me the reason why Jesus was using the mustard seed as an analogy, uh, or faith the size of a mustard seed as an analogy to describe, if properly grown, if properly fed, can result in amazing things. Now, this defies conventional wisdom. Uh, that is the reason why some people don't place a lot of, and I'm talking about those out in the world, I'm not talking about those inside the body, of course, but those out in the world do not say that, say that the scripture is not the ultimate authority, if I'm saying that correctly. They say that the scripture is full of good, sound words of wisdom, poetic words, uh, but when Jesus talks about faith the size of a mustard seed and being able to move mountains, or when um, you know the scripture says that 
you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. Or even when the scripture tells us that, uh, you know, those who lose their lives shall find it. Or those who are the least in the kingdom will be the greatest. Those words defy earthly wisdom. Because we see out in the world every, on a day-to-day -day basis that that is not the case. We, we see that certainly uh, the rich and the powerful of this world are certainly not the meek. Or they do not exhibit meekness. Uh, we see that uh, when, the, when the scripture talks about losing your life and finding it, that defies earthly wisdom because what are most people don't believe in an afterlife or most people don't believe in eternal life for that matter so how is it that losing my life is going to result in a better life than the one that I have certainly if I'm living a life of means when was the last time the scrub on the the furthest corner of the bench was named team captain no it's usually the most the uh, the, the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the, the, most, the most athletic of the team or the most uh, uh, higher performing is the word I'm getting to, is the team captain. Ask uh, Sister Elizabeth. She's not the slowest runner, she's the fastest runner. And, you know, people are more inclined to gravitate and be led by greatness than they are to be led by the least of us. Those words defy earthly wisdom. And another thing is we win by losing. Or winning by losing. Or adding by subtraction. If I were to use those words, you'd say, you're crazy. That sounds like philosophy. That sounds like gobbledygook. It really doesn't have any texture or context to my life, certainly. How can I win by losing? How can I add by subtracting? Those things don't make sense in an earthly context, but in a spiritual, spiritual context, they're extremely powerful and mean a lot. So one thing I want to talk about uh, this morning is I want to go to, um, I want to start by looking at uh, the book of 1 John. And 1 John um, has some very powerful words here, um, which again defies earthly wisdom, but certainly speaks to us, those who are uh, of the Spirit. Um, it says in uh, uh, 1 John, the 5th uh, chapter, starting at uh, verse number 4. First John, the fifth chapter, starting at verse number four, the scripture tells us, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And again, you may say, okay, I, I, I don't quite get that. What does it mean to overcome the world? Um, certainly, I could talk about you know, what it means to be born of God um, and to, to briefly touch on that. We know that those who are born of God have his seed. And those who have a seed cannot commit sin. And those who exhibit his lineage, or the lineage of God, are those who love. And those who love keep his commandments and find that his commandments are not grievous. 
So, again, getting to verse number 4, it says, For whosoever, for whatsoever, is born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, if you look in the context of what faith is, um, we know that faith is born of God, or comes or originates from God. How do I know this? Um, I can go back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, um, and read about all of the various men and women of faith, um, and how through their belief in God, they were able to do amazing things, and, and we'll get to that here in a, in a few moments. But it says that faith, our, even our faith, can overcome the world. In verse number 5, it says, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son. Well, actually, this is a rhetorical question, so let me read it in the context. So, who is he that believeth the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. If we go on to say, if we, if we go on to read, rather, in verse number 10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He, believe, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God, this and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath the life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Sounds like a, a yin and yang to the world. That's simply what it is. Um, that you know, you give and take. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I, I I don't want to say to the world they liken it to uh, you know old. Uh, Buddhist, Japanese, Asian proverbs, right? But to us who are spiritual, they mean a lot more than that. What does it mean to overcome even our faith? Now, I want <clears throat> to, we're going to be flipping back and forth here. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. Very last chapter in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark, the 16th chapter. In uh, Mark, the 16th chapter, starting at uh, verse number 14, um, Jesus has, <clears throat> has been resurrected from the dead. He's shown himself. Um, to hundreds of people, um, and now he's showing himself to the eleven. And it says, Afterward he appeared unto the, unto the eleven as they sat in meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So even after being seen by hundreds of people, the eleven, most namely, uh, specifically Thomas, 
did not believe that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Why is that? Because it defied conventional earthly wisdom. That when a man dies, he stays dead. How is it that a man can live after death? And even the eleven disciples, again, going back to the book of Matthew, um, Thomas being one of those, did not believe that. Why didn't he believe it? Why was, why was his faith not able to overcome worldly or earthly wisdom? Well, simply put, because he didn't believe. And he goes on to say in verse number 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told them to go and to preach. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And interesting, I want to I highlight these signs, these things that these men and women would be able to do that would defy earthly wisdom, which were, in some people's eyes, would be miraculous. It says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants. And, they, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, sick excuse me, and they shall recover. Now, it sounds, it sounds different. It sounds magical almost. But if you look at what faith is able to do, you can understand the reason. You can understand that it's not magical, it's not um, even miraculous. They were able to do these things as a byproduct of their faith. Even looking back at the book of Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter, um, we can find just a few examples of what faith or how powerful faith is. Even to those of us uh, of the 21st century, obviously, um, as we talk about, uh, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians, about the administration of the different abilities that the Spirit was able to endow upon the, the members of the body of Christ in the 1st century, we don't have that today. Uh, because there's not a necessity for that. Simply put, there's not a necessity because we have the Holy Scripture. And it is through the Holy Scripture that we have faith. And if we have faith, as it states in 1 John, we are able to overcome the world. That is our victory. But looking back at uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, <clears throat> it says in verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And all of the examples written thereafter are examples of those who please God through their faith. Verse number 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of things not seen, has yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the work by, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Okay, so if you look at 
you know, what it says in the book of Matthew about the Beatitudes. The meek shall inherit the earth. Um, where we just read, again, in 1 John chapter 5, that through faith we will be able to overcome the world. <coughs> you see that example there. That Noah, as a meek man, accepted the instructions, accepted the warning of God. They hadn't seen rain. He hadn't seen this magical precipitation from the clouds before. But an angel of God came to him and said, I'm going, the God is going to allow it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And the only way that you're going to survive, Noah, is you're going to have to build an enormously large ark. And you're going to put three in, of every kind and two of this kind, and you will be able to survive. Now, by faith, through his meekness, as we read here, it says that he became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He condemned the world, and he was the forefather of all of us. Well, Adam was, but you can see there that after those souls, after all those men, women, and children were raised, there were only those eight souls left. I, I continue on. <clears throat> um, if you uh, continue to read down to, um, where is it, uh, verse number 30. In verse number 30 it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Now, you, you, you may not uh, just refresh your memory on the story of Jericho, uh, the, the Hebrews had just passed over um, the Red Sea, right? Or excuse me, they not just passed over the Red Sea, but they were at the, they just gotten through the wilderness of sin, and they were sitting, standing at the, the banks of Jordan. And right over on the other side of the River Jordan, is the land of Canaan, that land that was promised to them, that land overflowing with milk and honey. There was one man that couldn't set foot on that land, Moses. So what did he do? He took, he chose um, through, <laughs> obviously endorsed by God, but Joshua was chosen to lead the people over the River Jordan into this land. Over on the other side of the River Jordan is a town, a stronghold, called Jericho. It had walls. It was uh, fortified with, with walls round about. So if marauding armies went over to fight against that city, they'd have to overcome these walls. Joshua and his small band of, of, of Hebrews did not have, were not a mighty army. But God told them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, at night, march around this city and bang drums and make a, a great loud ruckus and the walls will fall. Miraculous, magical, otherworldly. It, can buy, it, it does not align itself with earthly conventional wisdom that just by simply walking around a, a walls making a bunch of noise that the walls would fall. But they did that, and the walls did fall. 
The city of Jericho was besieged by the Hebrews. By faith. That's all it takes. Is a little bit of faith. Going on, it says in verse number 33, it says, uh, through faith, so, uh, who, uh, men and women of faith, or who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. That's another, uh, you know, you know, a Chinese proverb that we probably heard uh, many times, maybe in a different context, but you would think, how is that? I just can't wrap my brain around weakness through uh, our, our strength through weakness. Um, you know, losing but gaining. But all of those things make sense in a spiritual context when we align it with the concept of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In essence, what I am saying is, is I believe in this thing so strongly. Or rather, I believe in this thing that I cannot rot, form, produce with my own hands. I believe it so much that through that belief, when I go to God and ask for it, He is faithful to give it to me. Now, the context of this even becomes more clear as we read on. It says uh, in, um, again, in verse number 34, out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight, uh, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And this is important in verse number 36. And others had a had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, a bond and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they that they without us should not be made perfect. Now that there's a, a number of different things, a number of different concepts in there. Obviously, he's talking about Old Testament, that through their faith, they, they suffered through all these things, but yet weren't made perfect. But it took Jesus Christ and his redeeming power to make them perfect, or at least perfect enough to obtain the promise. But even in spite of all those things, in spite of all the challenges, they exhibited faith and they were able to do amazing things. Far beyond what they believed they could do or had the ability to do. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. 
So, when you have that in mind, let's look at uh, the scripture reading this morning about these uh, 70 disciples. And the specific instructions that Jesus gave these 70, he told them, <clears throat> and in light of those specific instructions, how they had to rely on their faith in order to do all the great things that they did. Now, um, there is a certain group of um, what's the word I'm trying to look, uh, trying to grasp here. There is a certain uh, religious group. I can't think of a better better way to put it. Um, you've probably seen documentaries, right? These are people who put their hands into um, you know, snake pits, right, and they, they drink poison, right, because they are trying to, um, through those things, right, they're trying to prove that they are, in fact, mm -hmm. these disciples, or a lineage of these disciples here. Certainly, as it states in Matt, Mark, the 16th chapter, right, where it says, these signs will follow those who are, who are faithful, that they, they will be bit by, by serpents, they won't feel any harm, They'll drink poisons, right? They'll be able to heal the sick. Um, we call those, and I can't remember what the term is, but um, anyway, there's a, a group out there somewhere um, in the country that they, they do these things, right? They say, if you're not a true disciple of Christ, and this uh, king cobra bites you on the arm and you die, you didn't have the faith. Or if you drink this rat poison and you die... That's a sign that you are not of the faith. And even more so, they go back to this example of the 70. As, as saying, well, listen, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, then we should be able to do the exact same things that these 70 did. And I would say that that is not looking at the scripture, obviously, the way that it's meant to. Because, even though we are not a part of the 70, we do have the same faith. And the same faith that we have is able to overcome the world. It is the victory. Why do we need to be able to do all these other things when we have the power to overcome the world? Now you may say, what is the world? Well, what are the things of the world? The things of the world are what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three diseases that every human being on the planet Earth must overcome or be healed of in order to obtain eternal life. Yeah. Okay, this may not seem, uh, may not be highlighting this very clearly, but if you look in uh, Romans, the sixth chapter, it even goes into this in greater detail about the power, or excuse me, rather, what the Spirit is able to do through faith in allowing us to overcome sin and death. Sin and death. Um, I'm not going to read through the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6, but what does it say? It says uh, in verse, <clears throat> verse number 7 and 8, it says, For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. In verse number 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, 
Death hath no more dominion over him, and he has no more dominion over us if we live according to the scripture. Or as it says in verse number 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, if I look at that in the context of overcoming death, my faith is able to do that, maybe not in a physical sense, but cer certainly in a spiritual sense. Yeah. What does it say <clears throat> um, in 1 Peter? It says, it, for those who are sick, where do you go? For healing, where do you go if, if, if you're sick? Well, you go to the elders, yeah. and they will pray over you that you will be healed. What is that? Isn't that being, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're sick or being able to heal the sick? I, I, they, those who are perverting the scriptures look at Mark chapter 16 and say that I have to be, if I'm a disciple of Christ, I have to be, or a sign is that I have to be, or I have to have the ability to do those things, to, to not, um, to be able to survive a poisonous bite, and all of those things, etc., etc. And I'm here to tell you that that is possible. That is possible. If it's God's will. But even if you die due to being bitten by a poisonous snake, what does it matter if you've been living the life? Or what does it matter if you've been living a life of faith? It doesn't matter how you leave. It, it, it doesn't matter in the context of this. That by losing my life, I shall find eternal life. If I lose my life as a faithful member of the body of Christ, being bitten by a poisonous viper, that is completely irrelevant as it pertains to the expanse of eternity. Okay, this, there is another verse I, I want to take a look at before we look again at uh, Luke chapter 10, and I apologize. Um, what does it say in 2 Corinthians? In 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> uh, it is the, my apologies, let me get over here real quick. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, this is what uh, Paul said happened to him. Verse number 24, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, it says he was five times, he was beaten almost to death. He was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, um, he was in perils in water, perils with robbers, perils of his countrymen, Pearls of heat with the heathen, pearls in the city, pearls in the wilderness, pearls in the sea, pearls with false brethren. He was weary, painful, hunger, thirsting, cold, and naked. But yet, he overcame, did he not? I know that he overcame because he told Timothy... In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, 
in verse number 6, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is in hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And lasted, and certainly not least, I have kept the faith. He was able to overcome all of those. Maybe it wasn't a snake bite. Maybe it wasn't drinking deadly poison. If you get what I'm trying to say here. Maybe it wasn't being bitten by a king cobra. Maybe it wasn't drinking rat poison. But how many people do you know can survive being beaten almost to death five times? How many people do you know have survived being shipwrecked or being cold and naked um, in perils often, um, being stoned even? How many people do you know have survived those things? Okay, so, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to see somebody being bitten by a poisonous viper and survive. But many people have. How many people have been bitten by a poisonous viper, gotten to the hospital, and gotten some anti-venom medication and survived? How many people do you know have done that? Plenty. Maybe not plenty personally, but we, there are many accounts of that. How many people have eaten poison and have gotten to a hospital, drank charcoal or vomited or milk, whatever those things, cases may be, or whatever first aid is appropriate for whatever poison they've drank and, and survived? Plenty of people have done that. Are those, does that mean that they are disciples of Jesus Christ? Just simply because they survived a poisonous viper or survived drinking a poison? Are those signs, or is that simply uh, just overcoming those things, a sign that you are a believer of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. But what is a sign? Is what Timothy wrote here in, um, in 2 Timothy, or excuse me, what Paul wrote to Timothy, excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Even in spite of all of those things that he was faced, all those hardships, those challenges, absent being bitten by a snake or doing other things, what did he do? He fought the good fight of faith, and he, excuse me, he fought a good fight. He finished his course, he kept the faith, and in verse number 8 it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to, but unto all them also that love his appearance. Amen. So the miraculous thing is not the things that they did, or it, the miraculous thing, or the magical thing, or, or the thing that is of note, is not the things that Paul did, but the fact that he kept the faith. Amen. We just got through reading, as I started off with in the book of Matthew, it says that that seed is minuscule. It's, it's like a penny. Now, we talked about pennies, right? But, you know, I, I accumulate enough pennies together, right? I Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, over the course of a lifetime. If I collect a penny a day, 
How many thousands of dollars would you have? Okay, somebody do the math, right? So let's let's use Allison as an example. She's 14 years old. And let's say she lives for another 70 years. That means she'll pass when she's 84. Not saying that, but I'm just saying just for just for rough numbers. She lives 70 years. Okay? Multiply 70 times 365. If she were to collect one penny a day, 70 times 365. How many? How many? 25,000. 25,000 pennies. Which is what? How much? $2,500. Just by collecting one penny a day. That's substantial. How many of us would like $2,500 right now? What's that? $255? Am I doing that right? So you take 25,000, take out two zeros. No, that doesn't make sense. You'd have to take out three zeros. Somebody do the math there. Any case. And, and we're, we're, we're not going to post this, uh, this one on the, the internet because like I said, these people can't even do simple arithmetic. But if you look at if you look at the mustard seed, it's two hundred fifty dollars. Okay, well that's still a lot of money. I'd still want two hundred fifty dollars. But if you take a mustard seed, which is small, but you feed it and you and and you nourish it and you water it. As, as Jesus says, it becomes the greatest among all of the herbs. So let's look at the scripture in this morning. Luke, the 10th chapter. So, <clears throat> looking at uh, this, this particular passage, um, Jesus is... Um, Jesus has just got through talking about uh, in Luke the 19th, in the, the end of the ninth chapter, excuse me. Jesus had just talked to his disciples about commitment. In essence, he said uh, that last verse, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom, uh, kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, is, you know, a disciple of Jesus Christ has to be committed towards the work, not looking back, but I am 100% committed to what's laid out in front of me. And so what he does in the, as it says in the first verse of Luke chapter 10, he says, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. So I don't know who the, who, who weren't the other, but he says he appointed 70 other disciples and sent them two by two. Before the face and before his face in every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He told them to go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Okay. So he's just got through saying that 
you know, the harvest is plenty, the labors are few, but I'm going to send you out there to die as a lamb. That doesn't make sense. I mean, if you were to tell me that prior to me becoming a Christian, I'd say, yeah, you're right. That defies worldly logic. To go out there and labor, but you're also telling me to go out there in, on a suicide mission. But those of us who are spiritual, it, it means something different. So, as it goes on to say, in verse number 4, Jesus says, Carrying neither purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. So he's telling them, don't take any money. Uh, don't take anything to hold a, hold money. Um, no shoes. Um, don't uh, salute anybody along the way. And, and my study Bible has a synonym for salute as uh, to, <clears throat> to greet anyone along the way. But to simply go into a house, or whatsoever house you come to, say, peace be unto this house. And if peace settle on it, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I'd have to study that a little deeply to kind of understand exactly what Jesus is meaning by that. But what he says, if it, if it doesn't rest, it'll come back to you. But if it does, go into that house, have the meal, take whatever it is that they're willing to provide to you because that is worth, you are worthy of, uh, that is... That is a recompense of the work that you're going to be doing for me. So what is the work that they had to do? It says <clears throat> in verse number 8, and, to, and into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. So when you go into the city, heal the sick, and preach to them about my coming, about the kingdom of God, about this kingdom that I come to this earth to establish. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. And it talks about um, further on about you know the uh, the condition that that city will be in if they reject um, the words of the 70. But I just want to kind of highlight here. How many of us would give up our lives the security of our money, the security of our means, give up our shoes, and just go two by two, and just go. Just walk out, and what happens, happens. The, whatever God provides, we will accept. Whatever people offer, 
we will eat. And when I go into the city, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to heal the sick. How many of us would do that? How many of us would have the faith, even the size of the mustard seed, to do that? To me, that would be that would be that would defy conventional wisdom. To just go out two by two without shoes on. As a matter of fact, if I saw somebody walking around here with no shoes on and no money, and they just come up to me and say, Hey, how you doing? I'm hungry. Or hey, how you doing? Are you sick? Here, let me heal that. Jesus Christ is coming. And then go on their way. Beautiful message. Um, but, again, if somebody walked up to you with nothing on them except the clothes on their back, you'd say they're crazy. If you look here at verse number 17 in Luke chapter Luke chapter 10, it says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. That's not what they were, they were, that's not what they were expecting. They were expecting just to be able to heal the sick. And what does it mean to heal the sick? How do we heal the sick? If somebody's sick, you give them medicine, right? If somebody has, uh, you know, uh, has a bacterial infection, you give them an antibiotic. As a matter of fact, um, if you were to look back at the, um, when penicillin was discovered, the world thought it was a magical cure-all, right? Because they didn't quite understand what was going on. So what does it mean to heal the sick? Does it mean that he that these 70 laid their hands on them and, and healed what, whatever was ailing them? Uh, did the 70 give them medicine or tonics that would heal them? Or was the healing of the sick more a healing of the spiritually sick and not the physically sick? I don't know. I, I'm sure the scripture would lead me to be able to answer that question. But one of the things that is most powerful to me is the fact that they did something that was not ordinary. And as a result of doing something ordinary, it says in verse number 17 that they, when they returned back to Jesus, they were excited, they had joy, and that they said, not only were we able to do all the things you told us to do, we were able to, the devils were, became subject to us. Yes. In verse number 18, it says, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan... This is what Jesus said unto them. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what we just read in Mark in the 16th chapter? About... You know, the signs of those who believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus told them to go and to preach <coughs> unto every creature. To what? Believe and be baptized. And those who didn't believe shall be, shall be damned. And these are the signs of them that will follow. They will be able to do 
exactly what Jesus said here in verse number 19. This power was given to them by Jesus through their faith in him. It says, again, I behold, I give unto you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, of power over all the enemy, notwithstanding. In this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in the fact that you're able to you know, heal, you know, overcome snake bites and smash on serpents and do all sorts of other things, right? Don't rejoice in those things, but rejoice in the fact that through your faith, your name has been written in the book of life. Man. And that's huge. I, okay. I mean, I, I don't want to go over this in great detail. But anybody, anybody can develop a, um, a tolerance to scorpion and snake bites. I don't want to say anybody. But if you're careful enough, if you do it um, the right way, yeah, you can develop a, 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 a tolerance to those things. What does it say um, also? It says... Uh, <clears throat> that you'll be able to tread on serpents and scorpions, etc. But one of the things that is highlighted here is that it will it also says it will give you all it will give you power over all the power of the enemy. If I'm saying that correctly. I want to go back to um, what uh, what G, what excuse me, what God told the serpent. Back in Genesis. What did God tell the serpent? It said, um, I'm going to remove your feet. <clears throat> You're going to have to wiggle on the dust of your belly. It says, I will put enmity between you and man. You will bruise his heel. But what is he going to do? Smite you on the head. Crush you. Go back and talk about, and let's go back to what uh, John wrote in 1 John, the fifth chapter. It says, Even our faith overcometh the world. That's a fulfillment of the prophecy that Adam, that, excuse me, that God gave to Adam and also to Satan. Mm -hmm. That it is through the seed of Adam, but more so through the seed of Jesus Christ that mankind would be able to bruise the head of Satan. And the only way that we're able to bruise the head of Satan is through our faith. And when it says that we will have power over all the power of the enemy, it means that what, what power does the enemy have? Except for sin and death. And what have we been able to overcome through our faith? But sin and death. The same power that Satan has, we've already overcome. And that is the miraculous, powerful, magical, I'm using earthly terms. Amen. But that is the evidence, that is the sign of those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the evidence of, you know, that, 
that, that, that little mustard seed and be able, with our faith, be able to say to that mountain, go from one place to the other, is evidenced in the fact that we are able to overcome all the power of the enemy, which is sin and death. Well, how did how were these seventy disciples able to do that? They had to they had to be stripped of everything. They had to have enough faith to just go out into the wilderness as lambs to the slaughter, or what did it say? As uh, um, as lambs uh, among wolves. <coughs> It took all of those men and women of faith in the book of Hebrews. It took them to give up everything. You know the whole saying, less is more. Adding by subtraction. For those of us who are spiritual, it makes all the sense in the world. To lose in order to gain. To be humble in order to be exalted. To inherit the world in the spirit of meekness. All of those things are connected. All of those things align themselves when we add faith to the equation. Our faith is what overcomes the world. Our faith, or through our faith, we will inherit the world as meek individuals. When, we, when I remove myself, or when I subtract me from the equation and look to God, I am adding eternal life. I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> and back in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, or the 12th chapter, You know, this whole adding and subtraction, or adding by subtraction. Uh, Paul says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, and reproaches, in necessities, and persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake. And you think about what those 70 disciples did. What did they do? They put themselves in distress, in necessities in wantings for the cause of Christ. And they became stronger. So much so that they had the power over devils. And, and I think that makes all the sense in the world in the context of what Paul writes here, again in verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For when I am weak, makes all the sense in the world is when I discontinue to rely on myself for salvation when I continue when I discontinue relying on myself for anything and I put all of that reliance on God when I make myself weak through faith God makes me strong Amen. <coughs> that's the sign that 
everybody out there in the world should see from each and every one of us who are members of the body of Christ. They need to see that. They need to see our faith at work. When we are down and out, when we're going through rough times, it seems that we're even stronger and we're more vibrant, we're more joyous, we're more willing to help, we're more accepting. Because it's through our faith that we're relying more on God. And when we rely more on God, we're able to do so much more than we think that we can. Just give it up. Be like those 70 disciples. You go out there into the world with no purse, with no money. I can't say without shoes because I don't know if that's hygienic. But the same germs then are the same germs now, I would imagine. But let's say you go out there without your wallet. Don't take your, your debit card, your credit card. Don't take any shoes. Don't take any provisions. Don't take a, a sleeping bag or a pillow. Oh boy, here I'm going to throw one in there. Don't take your cell phone with you. And just go out there and to do God's bidding. And I guarantee you, as the scripture has said, if you believe in him with just the size of a mustard seed. When you report back to Jesus, like these 70 disciples reported back to Jesus, you will report back to him and say, Whoa, Christ, I wasn't expecting this, but I got this plus some. I was able to do more than what I even imagined I was able to do. And there is a scripture that talks about that. That through Christ we're able to do more than we can even imagine or perceive that we have the ability to do. And it all starts with faith. Yeah. So as you begin this upcoming week, um, let's, let's focus on that. Let's give ourselves over to that faith um, and that belief. Um, if people, you know, if, just imagine, right, just a bunch of people banging cymbals and horns and yelling loud, walking around the stronghold of the city, were able to besiege it just simply because God told them, that's what I want you to do. Crossing the Red Sea. Uh, okay, and then maybe, even a, maybe in a real world example, what about all those times in your life where you had no choice but to believe in God? Or to put all of your eggs in God and He's delivered you through. Yes. Heather and I, I found a check in my in my apartment. Heather, Heather and I tell this story quite often. I was broke. I was beyond broke. Uh, so much so I was relying on others. But I mean, I was like, how am I going to pay this? How am I going to pay that? Um, and there was a check. You know, I didn't find the check. You know why I didn't find the check? And I believe this. You know why I didn't find the check? is because I didn't believe. Yes. As a matter of fact, if Heather hadn't been there, I probably would have never found that check. But Heather believed. Heather was always telling me, and that's Sister Garner, by the way. Yes. Sister Garner was always telling me, don't worry about it. God's going to provide, don't worry Amen. about it, you know, don't stress about it. And she found the check. And I would say the reason why she found it is because she believed, right. but I didn't. 
There's a reason why I lost it. There was a reason why I couldn't find it. There is a reason why it took Sister Garner to be in that room yes. with me at that time with her beliefs to be able to find mm -hmm. that check. Amen. And I'm sure.